Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us at our TTP at Home podcast second episode. We hope you enjoyed the first one, and we're glad that you're back. Tell us about our guest today. Okay, well, we've got Luke Macias with us today. Luke has been with, I mean, was it 2010 when we I, first got it, introduced It was you? 11, yeah, when I started Texas Paul. I mean, I had been in a little bit, but when I started running races up here, it was 2011. So we brought Luke on today because Luke is like an expert on all things elections. And obviously, we have the primary that is in just a few days. Um, but, okay, so this might be embarrassing, but did we meet with Geo's campaign? I think we did. I think it was it was a combo of, you know, the Geo, Kraus, Stickland, all those campaigns were happening at once. Yeah, so I feel was, like you and I met in conjunction with all was, of them. Was, okay. Well, I thought Stickland came two years yes. later. No, no, no. It was uh, all 12. So Geo must not have used you the first time. No, not in oh, his okay. 2010 race. Okay, well, let me just go on record and apologize that we worked to get Giovanni Capriglione elected. However, we do have Luke, and he is awesome. He knows everything about every election that we care about. He's got his own podcast. Yep. You want to give a plug for that? Uh, the Luke Messia Show, once a week, less than 30 minutes. Try to just give people the most relevant information on what's going on in Texas politics, what our statewide officials are saying, what policy is moving, what local things are happening that matter to their lives. And so, yeah, yeah 30 minutes a week. Kind of like what we do, but we only have to do it once a month. There you so, go. Which is really nice. So, okay. So for all of you all across Texas, we do this show once a month because we know that not everybody can get to one of our 18 TTP locations um, for our monthly meetings. So um, we'll give you some action items um, after we're done talking to Luke. But first, let's just get right into the elections and tell us, like, I feel like there's like so much excitement around this upcoming election because we have so many expectations of seats we're going to win. Mm. Tell us the reality. Uh, the reality is that we've had more candidates than ever show up before. Um, I would say there's 40 to 50 conservative Republican candidates who have stepped up across our state. And really what happened was the Ken Paxton um, impeachment nationalized this problem that we've all been talking about for a long time. We go tell our friends and neighbors, hey, the Texas House is this big problem. And it's hard to put that into words that actually make them care. The Paxton impeachment did that. It, it nationalized this problem we have in Texas. And so I think that that brought some incredible candidates to the forefront and then match that with Governor Abbott trying to push school choice through the Texas House failing to do so, really the House rejecting all of his um, different offers. And so he now has gotten more involved than ever before in taking out some of the most liberal Republicans in the Texas House. Um, and so you have this combination and then Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick stepping up, not only in his criticisms of Speaker Phelan himself, but also- Which has been fun to oh, watch. <laughs> fantastic. And, um, and then a couple other uh, House reps, which I'm sure we'll get into. So you have all of these different forces coming to play. Um, on the flip side, I believe that once the dust settles, and we honestly don't even know exactly how much money gets spent until July. Oh. So it's like July 15th is when you can really sit down and say, this much money was spent in this particular house race. But it's very clear 
that they're spending more than they ever have. Kron to Timish against Mitch Little, which is going to be a very close, I think, hotly contested race. you got to tell people where that is. Denton County. Um, this is Louisville area. Uh, Mitch Little was one of Ken Paxton's attorneys on the um, impeachment trial. And then, uh, you know, Kron to Timish is a very liberal Republican incumbent. And so that's going to be a close race. But the only reason it is going to be close and not just a blowout for Mitch is going to be the fact that Kronda, I believe, will spend over $1.5 million oh, wow. in her re-election campaign. And how much do state reps make? I mean, yeah, $7,000 <laughs> a year. You have to understand that, like, if you were putting together a plan to take over the Oklahoma, Texas house, the entire plan would cost you $1.5 million, right? Like, we're going to go... We're going to go play in 50 different Texas, Oklahoma state house races. Wow. And you go, this is all for one race. That is how much they're scared of Mitch Little in the legislature, right? And, um, and so it's just a good to... thing that they're scared. Yes. 100%. Yep. I think that we are set. I'm going to give people an easy uh, kind of buckets to look at when they look at election night. One is the school choice bucket. And so in this school choice bucket, you have um, a, a little over a dozen incumbent Republicans who a lot of people have coalesced against. Ken Paxson's campaigning against these incumbents. D uh, Greg Abbott's campaigning against almost all these incumbents. Dan Patrick is campaigning against several of these incumbents. Sid Miller's campaigning against almost all of them as well. And then you have Chairman Ra Matt Rinaldi, the Republican Party of Texas, True Texas Project, Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, all of these other forces who are also saying, hey, these are problem problematic incumbent Republicans. Steve Allison in San Antonio, John Kemple in Seguin, uh, Dwayne Burns just south in Johnson County, Glenn Rogers in Weatherford, Palapinto, just a couple of them. So this school choice bucket of incumbents not only are bad on school choice, so the governor's taking issue with them. If you look at any ranking, these 12 are among the 25 Let's most stop liberal there. I Republicans. I want to talk about that a little bit more because that was actually on my list of questions for you. Great. So I know that for you and your PAC and for Governor Abbott, that the school choice issue is one of the key things and the reason why he's getting into the race. For us, our people are divided like 50-50. Like some people want school choice and some people don't. Some people are scared of it. Some people say no matter what they do to it, it'll morph into something bad. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to be clear that we can support these candidates because we, as True Texas Project, we're not picking one issue. Mm -hmm. We're looking yeah. at a broad spectrum of issue, yep. issues. And it's just really a blessing that Abbott tends to jump in where we've jumped in or Paxton. Like it's separate. I just wanted to be clear that it's separate. Yeah, I think Luke already hit that, though, when he said these incumbents oppose school choice, but they're bad for a whole, a lot, whole lot of, of reasons. other yeah. reasons. And we have to look at that big picture as we're making our decisions. Do you want to say anything about this yeah, choice it, issue? Well, currently in the Texas House, the same people that are teaming up with teacher unions as a whole. And let me not just make this about school choice, because yeah. I want to make it really clear. Um, even if you don't support that policy, I do personally, people can, can disagree, but the same Republicans that are keeping that from passing are basically giving the teacher unions almost veto authority over most policy that gets considered in public yes. education policy yeah. in Texas. So again, if somebody believes that, and I've met them, y'all have met them, individuals who believe that if school choice passes, you know, homeschooling as we know it will end. I was a homeschooled student. My wife was homeschooled. We're homeschooling our, our daughter right now and our son, and um, which makes them probably smarter than most Texans. And so <laughs> they, I'm supportive of that as a whole, but um, the Texas House has individuals who basically say, if the teacher unions are opposed to it, we have the votes to kill it. And uh, that's what we're trying to end. I don't want to just 
open up opportunities for parents through school choice measures. I also want to open up a lot of education policy that is going to hold these school districts accountable. And then the last thing I'll add to this is this. There is no bill that has ever been filed in Texas that has been compulsory when it comes to your engagement in any school choice program. So any homeschool family that says, well, I think if I participate, then I'm going to be forced to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. No bill will ever force you to do anything. There's not a single bill that's been filed that has said homeschool families have to participate in this program and they have to use it this way. And it's just all been voluntary. And then you're, yep. You're fine. Good. Thank you for addressing that. So let's talk numbers. So we have, what'd you say, 40 to 60 candidates? That's right. And who's who's at the top of our list of people that were like, yeah, we probably got this. Or do you want to say? Yeah. The way I would look at it is I would say that um, your incumbents like Hugh Shine, Drew Darby, Reggie Smith, Glenn Rogers, um, John Kempel, Steve Allison are in major trouble because if you're a Republican in that district, you're hearing from in some cases, Lieutenant Governor Patrick saying this guy is not a good Republican from the governor, from Attorney General Ken Paxton, from Sid Miller, from the actual person's opponent. For, you know, There's so many angles you're being hit that it is very hard to then turn it on your voters and convince them, no, no, really, all of these people are wrong. I'm actually a really good conservative guy. So I would say if you're one of those incumbents, those are the ones who are having the hardest time. But are we in a bubble? Like, do people care? Are they even noticing that Abbott and Patrick and Paxton are saying things? I mean, what we've seen in many of those districts where Patrick's gotten involved, he's texted into the district and actually talked to those voters saying, hey, I'm endorsing this candidate or this candidate. The governor is buying television ads, sending text messages in. I mean, he's come to Mike Alcott's district as an example two or three times at this point. And so when he shows up, the local paper talks about it, people discuss it. So that's where you're you're seeing that voters really have caught on. Um, okay, so in those races, I would say that those incumbents are in a major uphill battle to get reelected. And if those incumbents go down for the most part, that will be the largest single election cycle that any of us have witnessed of incumbents losing. I mean, I think our, I went back, I think our record's like seven in a cycle, seven or eight. That was 2014 was like that height of the, and and so 2012, 2014, 2016, in each of those cycles, which we would all agree 12 and 14 to 16 were great cycles for conservatives. Mm -hmm. We were defeating four or five incumbents, yeah. two or three chairmen, right? So right we now- We get so excited. Really excited. <laughs> wow, we won a race. <laughs> There's a couple open seats as well that really matter. Caroline Fairley up in Amarillo is a great example of somebody who, you know, for price, again, not an incumbent who's being targeted, but a Republican incumbent who was always amongst the 20 most liberal Republicans of the 86 incumbents. And so he leaves, Caroline Fairley jumps in. She's a very conservative Republican who's been backed by the entire coalition, Ted Cruz, Patrick, y'all, you know, Paxton, everybody has come in and said the conservative organizations, Texans for fiscal responsibility, Texans for vaccine choice. So um, that's a good example of an open seat. That's not necessarily what we would call a scalp, but it is a major victory. You take somebody on this bottom 20 and you get somebody in the top 10 or 20 yeah. and that starts to move the scales in the caucus. That's another key race to look at. David Covey, Dade Phelan, of course, is oh, the one that everyone's looking one. at. Yeah. So let's break that down. <laughs> okay. Um, Dave, First, tell everybody who he is for, if they don't know. Yeah, so Dade Phelan is, of course, the sitting speaker of the House, um, and he's being challenged by David Covey, who served as the Orange County GOP chair for a time. He served on the state Republican executive committee. Uh, Dade Phelan is going to spend at least two and a half million dollars on his reelection. You have to understand, like, 
if you're in that district, Wait, his money is really lobby money. I, yeah, I mean, when I say his money, it's just flowing in from every special interest that could possibly want access to a little slice of uh, you know the table, and um, and so. Two and a half million dollars, maybe three. I mean, it's just an untold amount of money. They've blocked, they've paid these block walkers to go across the district two or three times. They've been maxed out on television. I mean, you watch like Nick at Night at Midnight, you're going to get a Dade Feeling TV ad. So it's everything they can to tell everybody. I'm telling you, the kids are like, Mom, Dade does this, you know, because it's just everywhere, Cartoon Network. So um, he's buying everything he can. He's had this fundamental problem that Abbott. It's the one race that Abbott has stayed out of, I would say. Oh. Uh, I, I don't know if there might be one I or two others, that. but Abbott did not endorse Dade for re-election. He basically said, I'm going to oppose these people who are bad on school choice. I'm going to support people good on school choice, which does put the governor opposite us. You know, a lot of these races that are still important, but he's also been very supportive in a lot of those bad Republicans. And then in the Dade Phelan race, the governor has just stayed out of it. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has been engaging very aggressively. Ken Paxton, Sid Miller... Um, but also what you see is just a, an army of grassroots people in that. I mean, they, and, and I know that y'all have true Texas project members who have driven yeah. four or five hours to yeah. block walk for David Covey, there's right? Bus, there's busloads of people coming from various parts of the state I don't in, think you, into that district. I don't think you can understate just how impactful that is because yeah. there have been Saturdays that David Covey has enough volunteers to knock 2,000 doors in a day. It's crazy. I mean, it's just a, it's, a, it's, it's, I'm but really, don't stop. Pr- nobody stop. No. <laughs> so it's really impressive to see. Um, the question there is whether David Covey, in my opinion, whether David Covey wins outright or whether it goes to a runoff. Yeah. And yeah. so, because there is a third candidate. There's a third candidate, Alicia Davis, very nice lady. Um, and she's probably going to get, in my opinion, eight or 9% of the vote. And so, and she could get a little more. What happens when these third candidates are in, and y'all have seen this happen a lot, is mm-hmm. the top two income, the top two candidates that are spending a lot of money against each other will often start criticizing each other pretty heavily in the last couple of weeks. And so, this third candidate can just bump naturally because yeah. people just go I don't know about this guy or this guy I'm, I'm going with the girl yeah. and uh, you might see that happen a little bit uh, again when incumbents go to runoffs um, if you look at the last oh, 30 years I think is when how far back I looked it's like 87 percent of the time an incumbent goes to a runoff they will lose in the runoff Wow. Um, and so it's so high you do not want to be an incumbent the way yeah. I describe it is it's like a majority of the district know they want a divorce, okay? So like everybody in the room is like, oh, well, I guess most of us want out of this relationship. So then when you go into round two, they go, maybe those attacks were true. Maybe those things that everyone was telling me. So maybe they take a little harder look at that incumbent's record the yeah. second time around. Um, there's going to be a lot of runoffs. The last thing I'll say is there's yeah. going to be a lot. Of, I mean, I really do think that the grassroots need to understand that there could easily be 10 to 15 runoff elections oh, that matter. So this, Which I mean, happened at the same time as the local elections. That's right. So it's, it happens in up. May. So you're going to see, hopefully, some good solid victories where we take out some bad liberal Republican incumbents. Mm-hmm. The speaker is sent to a runoff or loses is the hope of what everyone's pushing for. Mm-hmm. And then a big round of other runoff elections where grassroots have a, a legitimate opportunity to, to make the Republican caucus more conservative. So two things I want to ask you about, um, actually three. I got, I, I just, my brain, I hope I can remember them all. <laughs> so first of all, if we get rid of Dade, 
Does that solve Texas's problems? Yeah, it does not. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I really wish it did. It, it depends on what the in, the rest of the incumbent Republicans want, to be honest. And so it's going to be up to the Texas House, the Republican caucus. Um, they decided when Dennis Bonin left amid amidst his scandal, uh, basically what they said was, we don't want to change anything, right? We want to take the crown off of this guy's head and we want to move it one person over and then everything stays the same. All the chairmen are the same. All the people who are running the show are the same. Just very little change. And so what that did was it took an already, uh, let's say, frictional situation and just said, we want to continue with this relationship status. And then what happened was the conservatives said, okay, well, now we're just going to double down and continue to push conservative policy against you as a house, as an institution that are basically saying, we prioritize this relationship we have with the Democrats over the grassroots. I believe that there are Republicans in the Republican caucus that want a new relationship with the Democrats and want a new relationship with the party as a whole. It doesn't mean that every single one of these guys wants to pass every single grassroots priority they can every session, but it does mean that this level of, let's just say uh, this level of friction between the Senate and the House, between the Republican Party of Texas and the House, between the grassroots Texans and the House, between all of that is at a, as a, at a higher level than we've seen it. And so they get to decide, okay, do we just take Dade and replace him with one guy over? And they'd be looking at people like Cody Harris, Dustin Burroughs, Greg Bonin, basically just a repeat of that entire Dennis Bonin coalition, Dade feeling, like, let's just take the crown off of his head and put it next to his head. Chairman of local and consent, chairman of calendars, chairman of appropriations. So if they do that, then it is their way of saying, hey, we just want to double down mm -hmm. and endorse everything the House did last session and continue on in that. So I think that's what we're, what's yet to be determined. Yeah. So I think uh, maybe in the fall when we have these elections decided, we'll bring you back on and we'll have a, a whole new conversation about the speaker race. <laughs> if Dade Phelan loses, the, the moves will start getting made immediately. I mean, it will literally be overnight these guys yes. will be trying to retain their power because they have a lot of power and they're, they're, they don't want to lose that. You're right. Okay, so I want to talk. So we talked a lot about state reps. Well, first of all, how, how many, just guessing, throwing out a number, nobody's going to hold you to it. How many do you think we really have a good chance of winning on state rep in the House? I think 10 to 15. 10 I think 15. 10 to 15, okay. um, which which really does, again, set, I mean, a high a higher mark than we've ever seen before. But um, could it be higher? Yes. There's also, and there's a lot of races that are very close right now, in my opinion. You're just seeing an avalanche of spending from Texans for Lawsuit Reform, Associated Republicans Texas, Dade Phelan. Um, as we sit here tomorrow will be the eight-day report when we're recording this. And so when that comes out, we'll know a little bit more about exactly how much money those people are spending. But it is a massive amount of money. And so in these races with a lot of presidential people running, there's still going to be a lot of confusion amongst the less educated voters. And that's why True Texas Project and all the all of your members who are texting their friends and telling them how their recommended list and all that that makes a massive impact because a lot of these low info voters they just want to know what's true right so we actually have um 80 counties listed on our website top to bottom of the ballot with um, commissioner races, precinct chair races, judge races, races that people don't know what to do with they know they want to vote for Donald Trump or 
who else is in it at this point? Ted, Ted Cruz. <laughs> yep. Ted Cruz. Oh, I mean, I meant yep. for president, but yeah. yes. So we have all those on our website. So yes, you can share those. And we very much encourage you to text those out, tweet those out, put them on social media. Yeah, keep that up. That's so great. So let's talk about um, the judicial races. Hmm. So I know that we focus a lot on state reps and that's really our area of expertise, but there's some really important judicial races. And do we feel like John Devine is at risk, or can we get in David Shank or Gina Parker? Like, where are we at with these? So John Devine is at risk because, again, if you ask most Republican, even Republicans that vote in every election, hey, can you name three of the Supreme Court <laughs> they justices? Don't they don't know, yeah. let alone the Court of Criminal Appeals, which we'll yes. get to. So uh, John Devine is the most conservative justice on He's the Texas awesome. Supreme He's Court amazing. by yes. far. And so Brian Walker is running against him. Mm-hmm. There is a legitimate push against him. So I think that that's a race that grassroots Texans have to own and try to make sure to provide awareness to. That that slate of Court of Criminal Appeals candidates who are endorsed by Ken Paxton and Donald Trump Jr. came out and endorsed the three of them, Lee Finley, Gina Parker, David Shank. Um, these candidates all represent judicial candidates who have said, hey, it is not okay that we threw out 70 years of precedent and just decided that the state of Texas is never going to prosecute election integrity again. And, um, you know, they act like it's a rule of law issue or anything else. But the rule of law in the state of Texas for 70 years was that Ken Paxton could prosecute election integrity, right? That Mm -hmm. legislating from the bench is going in and saying, no, I'm going to undo that legislation that was duly passed and enacted by the legislative body who enacts legislative like policy. That's what happens. They decided to do that. For 70 years, the law of the land was that. We followed the law. And then these Court of Criminal Appeals judges said, you know what? How about this? Mm -hmm. There's no election integrity in Texas. And y'all can go have, and they basically told the Texas House, you have to find a way that Democrats will help you pass a constitutional amendment to rewrite the Constitution (laughs) so that we can prosecute voter fraud in the Democrat counties. Mm -hmm. And, And I think most Texans who know that are saying, fine, I'm voting for this slate, Lee Finley, Gina Parker, David Schenck, yeah. but most don't. And so, again, that is an issue where the vast majority of Texans who are going to go vote don't know how they're going to vote for the Court of Criminal Appeals. Yeah. To remind everybody, it's it's a statewide court, so every Texan can vote in it. Mm-hmm. But we have two statewide courts, the Supreme Court that handles civil matters and the yeah. Court of Criminal Appeals that handles these criminal matters. And so uh, it's an incredibly important election judicially that that is uh, that most voters don't know about. So have you seen the attack ads? I mean, the attack ads against John Devine. There's been attack ads against so many of the state rep races, which is par for the course. Um, But I I mean, I've been inundated with emails, people saying, are you sure you made the right decision? How can you support this person? Didn't you research? Didn't you vet them? What do you say to that? Um, I just tell people that there are a lot of very powerful people that Uh, whose power is at stake, and they'll say anything they can to maintain that power. And for most Texans, again, it kind of frustrates them. Like, well, why would they say this about this person in this way? It's like, because the truth doesn't really matter. Um, You know, they're motivated by ensuring that they maintain their power, and they've got a ton of money to do so. I mean, my estimate is 10, 15, 20 million dollars from the Austin Swamp will have been thrown into these races in the last two and a half to three weeks. I mean, I'm telling you, not as a whole. <laughs> I'm talking about it. It's just everywhere. Morgan Meyer from Highland Park just laid down a $300,000 television buy for 10 days in a state rep race, right? So the type of money that is coming in to try to save these liberal Republicans is substantial. 
I spent about 10 hours in the car last week going to and from Houston, and I listen to talk radio when I'm in the car. And I tell you, I was so depressed by the time I got home listening to all these political ads saying the most vile things about people that I know personally and trust and endorse. And uh, it's, it's hard. It's really they're very convincing. They're it's very like convincing. Videos and 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 quotes from famous people and but we encourage people <clears throat> stay the course. We made our recommendations. We vetted all of them. We've been vetting some of them for years. Um, stay the course because they're the real deal. And anybody can lie on a campaign and it's legal. So, all right. Do we have any other questions for Luke? I think we've. Oh, we didn't <coughs> talk too much about the Democrat chair situation. Oh. What, what do you think are our chances of having that rule changed in the next legislative session? And I know it's going to depend on the results of the election, yep. but uh, you're kind of optimistic about eight to ten new conservative grassroots people. So is that going to get us I over the I think he said ten to fifteen. Ten to fifteen. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Yeah. I'm fine. Uh, yeah, but, but I will say um, I believe that a majority of the Republican caucus right now wants to do away with the Democrat chair issue. They are done talking about oh, it. Good. These incumbent Republicans. And is that because they have felt the heat yes. or because they personally believed it? 100%. They felt the heat. Felt the the, the excuses us. are not working. <laughs> when you tell when you tell your aunt that goes to First Baptist, you know, whatever city you live in, and you're there and you're like, you don't understand. We can't pass constitutional amendments if we don't give them chairmanships. Like it doesn't ring true the average person doesn't pass the smell test as we say and so the average person's just going what are you talking about can't pass the constitution yeah and we wouldn't get anything done if we were just like washington what what are you talking about so the excuses aren't working they're tired of dealing with the issue the republican caucus i believe especially in the event that this election goes relatively well for us is ready to do away with the issue that being said it's going to come down to leadership i'm going to give you this example So Dan Patrick got elected to the Senate and said, I don't like the relationship status we have with Democrats in this chamber, in the Senate, Mm -hmm. because we have this two-thirds rule. And the two-thirds rule means that we can't bring any bill to the floor without one or two Democrats signing off on it, depending on the bill. And I think that's a bad relationship have. So I want to move it to the 60% threshold that the U.S. Senate has, which means we don't need Democrats to bring a bill to the floor. And he gets, he offers this rule change on the floor. He's a freshman state senator, and he's the only one that votes for it. He votes for it. The entire Senate goes, uh, no, right? Because David Dewhurst is like, we're not touching the two-thirds rule. And every, sen- yes. and every state senator is like, yeah, we're not touching the two-thirds rule. So then, then state senator Dan Patrick runs for lieutenant governor, gets elected lieutenant governor, and says, oh, by the way, one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to change the two-thirds rule. I remember that. Then he... As Lieutenant Governor says, we're going to change the two-thirds rule. They offer the rule change, and every Republican senator, barring one or two, I think, at the time, voted for the rule change. Now, uh, there's a scene in Remember the Titans where these two players are getting mad at each other, Uh and he says, um, well, that's the worst attitude I've ever heard, one of the players says. And the, the, this other player looks at him and he says, well, attitude reflects leadership, captain. And he's saying that, basically saying, you have a bad attitude, I have a bad attitude, but you're the captain. You're the one who's going to have to decide. So the next day, that player decides to have a better attitude, and all of a sudden you see these football players start working together. And I use that analogy a lot in politics because attitude reflects leadership. Mm-hmm. In the Texas Senate, Dan Patrick said, I don't want to have this chummy relationship with Democrats. We can work with them on policies that make sense for water. for whatever. And by the way, 
everyone, because I know y'all have all heard the excuses, we can't pass any constitutional amendments. Well, every constitutional amendment passes the Senate. And they usually pass the Senate with like tons of votes, right? Mm -hmm. The property tax relief package, everyone voted for, all the Democrats. They weren't given any chairmanships, right? Uh So why did all these Democrats vote for these constitutional amendments to fix water infrastructure? Because they're not going to kill the water infrastructure. That's just how it works. They like that stuff. So (laughs) attitude reflects leadership. Dan Patrick set a tone. The Senate followed. Senators that had all voted against changing the two-thirds rule two years and four years before voted to change the two-thirds rule because Lieutenant Governor Patrick was the Lieutenant Governor, not a state senator. And that same thing could happen. What's your? There's a couple different paths to Democrat chairs going away. First and foremost, I want to remind the grassroots that from the time we started talking about this issue, Democrat chairs have gone down every session. So all the pressure that we when have put... When did we start that? When I mean, really, two sessions ago is what we look... And then it was on the Republican ballot. It was on the primary ballot last time, which is the first time it's ever been voted on. So over the last two sessions, you've seen a decline every session. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe we're probably going to see another decline this session, regardless of what leadership does. But then you also have the reality that the caucus could vote on it at some point. Um, a new speaker could just say, I don't want to continue this practice. And he could end the practice without there ever being a vote. He could just say, I'm not going to appoint a lot of Democrats. Or that the caucus would vote to say, please don't. And then the speaker would respect the caucus's view. I don't believe any speaker right now, Dade definitely, Dade does not want the caucus to vote on it. He wouldn't even let them. Like, you would not have a Republican caucus that said, hey, y'all all all vote and tell me whether you want to keep Democrat chairs. Because you know what? I believe two-thirds of them would say, no. I don't want to do this. I'm yeah. tired of talking about this issue. Yeah. Um, and I want you to stop it, Dave. That way I yep. don't have to keep talking to my constituents about mm-hmm. it. So I do think we're on a path. And a lot of that does depend on exactly how March goes. The g- last thing I will say is y'all have probably seen the clips where Governor Abbott twice at two different stops actually s- criticized Glenn Rogers and Steve Allison for pushing Democrat chairs. So that is a big shift mm-hmm. um, when it comes to the Republican caucus. Uh, we've been talking about this issue for a long time, but it is very comforting to have the governor of Texas also say, hey, Glenn Rogers voted to put Democrats in powerful positions. And that also denied Republicans those same positions. We need Republicans to be in powerful positions in the Texas House. And he said almost the exact same thing against Steve Allison in San Antonio. So to have the governor vocally saying that too, I think shows a shift on the issue that should bring even more Republicans our way on. Let me just change the subject a bit because we keep talking about Abbott and we don't really have a good history with Abbott. Like he's, he says a lot of good things, but doesn't do a lot of good things. And we're having to constantly rail against him. And now in this election cycle, he's come out and done some good things. He's done maybe a wee bit on the border. And I just, I don't want to give the impression that we're rah-rah for Abbott because I'm not, and I'm not convinced. And yet, are there things we can say about Abbott? Like, I I don't know. Where do you stand on that? I think this election cycle, I mean, the governor is going to be a major force in basically removing 10 plus of the worst liberal Republicans in the Texas House. And that is something we've tried to do for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I... I know we talk about, we've all talked about this. We are, but we focus on policy, not personality, right? And so when you do that, I think it gives you like an easy lens to make your political decisions and commentary on because you go, this isn't about personality. This isn't about whether I like or don't like this person or whether I was working with this person yesterday and therefore I can work with them today. 
if we disagree with somebody the week before, we can agree with them the week after. And yep. uh, in this situation, when the governor comes out and talks about Democrat chairs, that is a major move that actually helps us win over the Republican caucus. When the governor comes out and takes out people like Steve Allison and Glenn Rogers, who we've been criticizing for a very long time, that is incredibly helpful for the grassroots to actually move the Texas House where we need it to go. So I think uh, when we when I talk about the governor's actions right now, I'm, I'm commenting on the work that he's doing that is being very helpful in propelling Texas in the right direction. And we want Texas to go further right every year. And this election cycle, the governor as a whole is going to be a major change agent to helping accomplish that. And he's way more with us than he is against us right now in these races. I love that you um, explained it that way, because, Fran, as you know, every time we go places, we talk about how we morphed from the the geo and stickland days where we get geo elected and then we're like crap he's terrible you know <laughs> so talk about how we made that decision when we changed our names oh okay well when we decided to change our name from northeast Tarrant tea party to true texas project back in 2019 on our 10th anniversary and we we had a group of eight or ten people in the room helping decide what should we name this new group and we, we literally agonized over it because we knew we wanted Texas to be in there, and we wanted to s- capture that spirit of the original Texians who fought for, for their liberty, and we wanted to instill that into people. And and secondly, we knew we wanted the word true or truth to be in the name because there's it's so hard to find the truth in political circles these days. There are so many lies told and so much misinformation, so we wanted to be recognized as, as the group that brings the truth. So we had true and we had Texan and we, we had about eight different things we were gonna put after that. We settled on project partly because of the acronym TTP just sounds cool. Really what I wanted you to say, that's great. That is all I true. I didn't say the right <laughs> things. Really what I wanted, because every time we speak, Fran is so good at oh, explaining yeah. how we are no longer focused on okay. winning elections. I can go to that. Okay, go ahead. Um, <laughs> I was remembering a conversation. I was conver- queuing you yes, up, Fran. Yeah. I was Come remembering on. a conversation we had the other day where I was talking about how that name came. Yeah, we, we spent uh, a lot of time and resources in the early days on getting the right people elected, only to discover they weren't the right people after all, uh, we were fooled, they deceived us, or maybe they started out right and, and they just changed for whatever reason. So we decided to change our focus completely to holding people accountable no matter who gets elected. Does I don't care if it's a Democrat or a Republican or a rhino or a grassroots champion, we still have to hold them accountable. And I always go back to that quote from Milton Friedman that says, uh, it's no longer enough to elect the right people. You have to make it politically profitable for the wrong people to do the right thing. Do the right thing. Okay, so I want to close with this question. Let's say we lose some races that our heart is set on Mm -hmm. and we're just devastated. Like, let's say Mike Alcott loses or something like that, right? And then we get tons of emails saying, I give up on politics, I'm sick of this. What would you say to those people? I think that just, and and y'all know this because you've been engaged since 2010, 2011, 2012. 2009. Nine. 2009. Yeah. I've, I've, been, I've been 2006, not to beat y'all, 
Um, yes, you but, got us beat. Yeah, yeah, but I'm better. Uh, no, no. So 2006. That's because your dad. Boom. I know. I, I mean, I can't help it. I was forced, forcibly forced uh, made labor. Ch- child labor for a campaign. Um, I did not consent. So I really did. I consented. My mom was so mad. She'd get mad at my dad because I just, well, I was always at the campaign headquarters and I was actually supposed to be a homeschool student that year. And so uh, I was like, look, I am educating myself in the ways of, yeah, in the ways of our culture. Um, So we've seen people like Matt Rinaldi and all of these other conservatives who ran and lost and then ran and won. And you're even seeing that this cycle where Shelley Luther ran last time, lost her election, had run for the state Senate, lost her election. I don't know whether she's going to win or lose, but the fact that she has the type of enduring spirit that is willing to say, that's I'm jumping good. back yes. in the fray, that's literally what we look for. Yes. And that's that's because we're not – I think you kind of question your motives I believe that our engagement in this is a vocation, which means it's a calling on how to engage in a certain arena that God desires us to engage in. And so if that is what you believe, now if you don't believe it, then you might have something else. Like if you say, I'm here because I want this person to win, and if that person doesn't win, I don't want to be here, that would make sense if that's why you're here. But we're here because this is what we feel called to do and where we feel called to engage. And that calling is not determinative. It's not determined by whether Glenn Rogers is the state rep or not, right? Glenn Rogers doesn't determine my purpose. Um, I determined my purpose, and I would actually say, as a believer, that God determines that purpose by what he gives and instills in us. So love that. I think that's kind of the important perspective. But but there are so many conservatives who are in positions today that they weren't in two years ago or four years ago or six years ago. And if they had quit at any point in time in that journey they wouldn't be there and they wouldn't be making the impact they're making well look at us i mean right we're, we're going on 15 years now and what would have happened eight years ago if julie and i had said i'm done it's it's well, just my not candidate worth it. lost I'm and we've had yeah. i mean all three of us here have had a lot of candidates we worked very hard for lose and yes lost. i mean that has happened oh yes on races we were all in on mm-hmm. that we were emotionally invested financially invested yep. with our time talent treasure and so that's that is and our reputations like our right. endorsement yes right? and oops yeah so we won't okay. bring up geo again thank you <laughs> i appreciate y'all so much thank you luke we so everybody you. luke is Obviously, you can tell he's a wealth of information. We love, I mean, anytime I have a question about a a race that's going on, you guys message me and you're like, what about this candidate? I'm like, Luke, what about this candidate? So um, thank you for being on. And he, what day is your podcast on? It's on Wednesdays, Wednesdays. Wednesday afternoon. Check out his podcast. Watch his podcast. It's really good. I don't listen and watch the podcasts, but I listen to his. And ours. Well, I do ours. So (laughs) I listen to his because it is so full of valuable information that I can put into action. So well done. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. Fran, that was a great conversation we got to have with Luke. Awesome. um, Yes. Next month, we want to make sure everybody realizes um, we're going to be speaking with a man on the border, about the border. Uh, Drugs, the cartel. What does he talk about? Jeffrey Stam. Yes. He does a wonderful program on what's really happening on the border and how it impacts everybody in the United States. And that's the hottest topic. That's what everybody always wants to talk about is the border. We can talk about it right here with an expert.
So absolutely, that'll be good. And then what else? What cool stuff happening that's coming up at True Texas Project? Yeah. We are um, having Texas Tough. Hopefully, you have your tickets for that. And if you don't, you need to go get them. It is the biggest event we have all year. We've talked to you about our uh, need for fundraising. We are shy of what we need to get through 2024. Um, and uh, Texas Tough will address that definitely. That's um, our goal is to max that out, and we probably will sell that out. Um, so get your tickets for that. It's fireworks, it's dinner, it's dancing, it's a live band. We shoot off our cannons, and we've got uh, Connor Boyack is our, our main speaker talking about uh, the Tuttle Twins, which is how we can impact the youth um, and raise them up so that they help us save America and save Texas. You know, Julie, one of the things people talk to me about so often is how can we reach the young people and get them involved in all this? And the Tuttle Twins is just such a great example yes. of, of how to do that start when they're really, really small. All and, the way up through teen years. And raise yeah. them up in the way they ought to go. Yeah. yeah. And it works. I have a daughter. That it does. It works. Look at yours. So, yes. She's awesome. Um, okay. What else do we have coming up this month? Uh, we are doing uh, one more round of live uh, certified True Texan workshops. It's going to be in Plano on March 15th and 16th. Uh, watch for information on that coming soon. Uh, after that, they will all go online. That's right. Um, We've got our 15th anniversary is coming up yeah. in July. We're, we're having a huge conference for that. We'll be releasing tickets for that in April. So watch for that, especially on our next podcast. We might address that more. Um, obviously, Luke talked about runoff elections that will be coming up. Um, and then also municipal elections will come before that. So we'll be talking about those things. Um, There's always another election. Always another election. And then, of course, we have our March meetings coming up. So do you want to yeah. give a little rundown on who we yeah. have coming across uh, the state? Some of the different things we have going on at various uh, locations are uh, Marty Reed, who uh, gives a talk on the Black Robe Regiment. And I don't know if you all know about that, but uh, in the early days of our country, those were the pastors and the preachers that, that were out you know, talking about and fighting for liberty. And it's still happening today. There are you know, preachers who are out there doing this, and he talks a little bit about the history of it. He's getting rave reviews. Oh, like, yeah. People are watching that and saying, can you bring that to my town? So I'm, we're trying to get it everywhere. Yeah, I've seen Marty do that. It's an excellent program. And I'm really excited about uh, Tim Georgeff is going to be talking about his new book. It's called Blessed Assurance. Uh, this is our story. And it's all about the the tribulations that he and his wife, Shelley Luther, went through when she had a uh, severe aneurysm last year. It's, it's been almost one year now since that happened. And uh, she came very close to dying multiple times, multiple surgeries. Um, we should probably tell people who Shelly is. I <laughs> In should. case they don't know. I'm sorry. So Shelly is the salon owner that stayed open during COVID and then was thrown in jail for yeah. it. And at that point, she became like a political sensation overnight and everybody loves her. And she thought that that was her purpose in like going forward in life. She and Tim thought, oh, we've got this political yeah. agenda now. Um, and then she almost died. And now they realize that God has a bigger plan for them and a bigger story. And they're going to tour all 18 of our satellite locations and Tim incorporates music and stories from his book and stories that aren't in the book because Tim is an incredible musician. Yes, Tim is the musician that always does our <coughs> Christmas parties, the, the dueling pianos program and he, he travels all over the all country over the literally yeah. performing. He's a, a top-notch musician. Yeah. So they'll be at 
at, at some point, if it's not in March, they will be at, at your local satellite and sometime. Bring your handkerchiefs because you will cry. <laughs> Who else do we have coming? In some of the places we have Mar Marlene McMillan talking about societal realignment. Uh, Marlene is a professor and she's very involved in uh, polit politics throughout the state for a very long time. She's been a player in the Republican Party. Um, she's one of the smartest people I know. Yeah. Uh, Except she can speak to you in a way that you get it. She can. So that's good. She's very good at, at, at doing that. Um, some of our groups are featuring local election candidates in, in preparation for the municipal elections that are coming up in May, so that'll be interesting. We have Chris Woolsey talking about lowering your property taxes because your tax bill's coming out mm -hmm. uh, in about six weeks. And uh, he's going to talk about how you can uh, file protests on your assessment and things like that. And uh, then we still have Trennis Evans continuing this month in some locations. He talks about the group that he's with called Condemned USA. Uh, they defend and, and work with J6 uh, prisoners. He is a J6 uh, prisoner himself. He served time in solitary confinement in D.C. He's now on probation for three years uh, on a misdemeanor trespass charge. So his group uh, hires lawyers and, and helps these people fight against The stories that Trina shares will just make your jaw drop. You might think that you are aware of the J6 stories and, and what's gone on, but when you hear it firsthand from someone who's been there, it's it's... And really I, impactful. I just heard the other day, I don't know if you heard this, but remember Mark Middleton and his wife that yes. spoke to us mm -hmm. uh, a I year did or mm -hmm. so ago? Um, they were convicted of, of some charge and will probably have to serve time uh, because they were outside the building, outside the barricades, praying. Praying. They were literally in a huddle praying With and some other started people. feeling people banging on their back, and it was the government here to help. So. so. That's what's going on at our uh, monthly meetings. All right, let's month. talk about action items before we close. Um, hopefully you are aware that after your um, election day on March 5th, you will have a precinct convention. You need to attend your precinct conventions. Yeah. We explained all about why during our February meetings. We had a how-to video from the state chairman, Matt Rinaldi, explaining why it's so important that you attend your precinct conventions and then go to your senatorial convention and then go to the state convention. because the left, and when I say left, I'm talking about establishment Republicans, uh, they never stop. And they will show up at the convention and they will try to push their agenda and we must be there to stop them. So the state convention is in San Antonio in May. Um, your precinct convention will be either the night of the primary election on March 5th or shortly thereafter. Some people, like I know in Tarrant County, we're doing them two days later. Some counties are combining their precinct convention with their senatorial convention, which is on March 23rd. Um, so you just need to talk to your county uh, GOP office, find out when and where your precinct conventions are, and make sure you are there. They don't last very long. Just zip in, zip out, get your name on the list for the next convention and then the next convention. Yeah, it's really, really important. And you can go to our our, um, web, our website, truetexasproject.com. In the top left corner, there's a little link that'll take you to our YouTube page. And our YouTube channel has the video with Matt Rinaldi. It's a five-minute video talking about why this is so important. So check that out. Speaking of videos, can I just mention that people are always asking us, you know, are, oh, this program for at this location, are you going to record it? And we record as many as we can, but it's impossible to record all of them. But there are so many videos on our YouTube channel, guys. There's 14 and a half years worth of videos out there, <laughs> literally. 
Um, so we record three or four a month and put them out there. So be sure to take advantage of that. Our next action item is about the municipal election coming up in May. Get to know those candidates. These are the most important ones that you will vote for. These are the ones that affect your kid's school, your local property taxes. Uh, you and know, they want to hear from you. They like, do. It's not a, I have so many people that think, oh, well, Julie, you're the CEO or Fran's the president and you guys interviewed these candidates and, and you know, you're kind of up there and, 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 and you have access. And they want to talk to me. No, they want to talk to you. So, so introduce yourself. And, and, and do what you can to find out about them. And if you have a candidate that you're supporting, the, one of the best things you could do is host a meet and greet in your home. Even if only eight or ten people show up, that's eight or ten people that's probably going to be convinced to vote for your candidate. And talk about it. And talk about it. To others. I remember the first meet and greet I had for my state house represented. One person showed up. But how many people got the invite and saw that candidate's name? Yeah. Yep. He won. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was a pretty awesome It would have been cool if he won by one vote. <laughs> that's a little too much to expect. Yeah. That would be a cool story, but, though. But, yeah. Meet and greets are, are very uh, underrated, so do that if you can. Obviously, block walking and phone banking and, and just talking about the candidates helps them get elected. Um, and lastly, you want to talk about Texas Tough? Well, we already talked about Texas Tough, but the last action item is for you to get your ticket. We actually dropped the price this year. We want to blow that thing out. It's going to be so fun. I'm super excited. We have a bigger venue this year. A bigger venue. It's in Fort Worth Stockyards. It's going to be great. So, um, okay. I think that wraps it up. We will see you guys at our monthly meetings throughout March. And then we'll see you again um, for our first Friday of the month um, interview April. with, uh, what's his, Jeffrey Stam. I knew Jeffrey I was going to forget Stam. his name, but I pulled that out. So for now, here's to Texas. And here's to true Texans. <laughs>